This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. It's been a pretty pretty good run here in the last couple weeks, so if you probably would have asked me a couple weeks ago, probably would have settled uh, for something less than 100, but it's uh, it's been a good stretch. Like I said, I've been very fortunate to play with some, some very good players. Obviously, Hetty and, and Cooch the last couple weeks here have been on fire as well, so power play is clicking. I mean, everything is coming together at, at the right time so I think that's more important we want to be feeling good about ourselves going into to the postseason so we got a couple games here left and certainly we're trending in, in that direction so but still still a special moment I mean something I've, I've never done before I've come pretty close so to do it in year 14 is uh, I'm just more proud of the fact that I've you know probably proved a lot of people wrong oh there it is I proved a lot of people wrong I love it I love it. You ever notice that sometimes, too? The motivating factor, athletes. We don't pay attention to the media. <laughs> we just don't do it. We we can't let that negative stuff get into this locker room. Oh, but you know what? I definitely proved a lot of people wrong. That is always... Uh, that makes me chuckle sometimes when I hear that because these guys are human. They're surrounded by social media. I don't know necessarily who Steven Stamkos was talking about, but you know what? Whatever motivates him... Good for him because it's working <laughs> as the yeah. Lightning get another win last night, four in a row over the Blue Jackets, four to one. We've got a ton to recap. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Winelli, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Michigan. Steve Ersnick's our producer at Bolts Radio. Partner, we can get into the game specifically, no doubt about it, but just an observation from afar. Now, we get to watch these guys on a daily basis, so it's... It's fun to do that. It's a privilege to do that for sure. I can't remember a time when Hedman, Stamkos, and Kucherov were this dominant for an extended period of time all at the same time. Now, we had seen Stamkos and Kucherov plan a line together, and they put up a lot of points for sure. Victor Hedman, same thing. Just take a look at his his totals throughout his career, and you can understand he's... He's done some pretty special things. And maybe it's just living in the moment right now. You have to take the emotion out of it. Maybe that's what this is. And and maybe if we go back in the archives, we'll find a period of time when these three players were piling up points at a pretty decent clip before. I can't remember that. I do. But I think, oh, okay. Go ahead. Finish but you, you, know, you, had, you had mentioned with Phil on the broadcast yesterday, and I think it's probably the best way to describe it. Columbus had no answer for the first line. I mean, they just didn't. So, you know, that, that's a pretty helpless feeling in sports when you know what the other team basically is going to do. You know who they're going to put out there every few shifts, and you really can't do anything about it. Columbus not on the same page as Tampa Bay talent-wise. I think we understand that. But the amount of points these three guys are putting up right now is, is pretty alarming if you're an opposing team. I don't know if this carries into the playoffs. My hunch is they'll play well. I don't know at this clip. But really, the last couple of weeks, I mean, I'll be curious to hear what you have to say when there was another time these guys were that dominant. But I feel like with Hedman, Kucherov, and Stamkos all at the same time, all putting up points, and all just dominating almost every game they're playing at this point, I think as a fan, you've got to take a step back and, and embrace it because all Hall of Fame talents, all doing it at the same time, and more importantly, they're winning games, which ultimately is, is what you want to see. So I want to start, I will give you that that other time when I remember, especially Kucherov and Stamkos. I, I don't remember if Hedman was as involved, but because the power play did really well in this stretch that I'm thinking of, he probably was involved. But Stamkos' quote about, I proved a lot of people wrong. I think that the the way of the hockey player is to not complain when you're not feeling 100%. It is clear now with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, seeing what a healthy stamp ghost is capable of doing, that these last few years, his point totals were affected by his health and, and the condition of his body. But while it was going on, he wasn't belly aching and saying, you know, if only I were healthy, I would have 25% more goals and 35% more points. That's just not 
the way of the hockey player. And so what conclusions are people probably likely to draw from the fact that a guy who has been extremely productive over the course of his NHL career has started to see his production dip just a bit, but it had dipped the last couple of years. The 18-19 season, he had a good year, but you know the last two, not as much. And you know, you're, you're hitting 30, 31 years old. We know he's had injury problems, but I think the feeling was, and and this wasn't just outside the the folks that cover the Lightning. I think it included the people who cover the Lightning. The feeling was that the injuries had affected him permanently. Like this was this is the stamp goes that he is right now, still productive, still effective, but no longer the guy that you know was scoring fifty plus goals, which he did very early in his career. So that's why people have been proven wrong because now healthy, he has he has elevated his game, but it's not like people were were trying to knock him down. I think it was just an acknowledgement that look, this guy has had terrible injury luck, and this is the player he is now, given his injury history and his age. And everybody who said that was wrong. So maybe the people who were closest to him understood, yeah, Stammers had these surgeries and it's just taking him time to feel good. But this year he has felt good and we've seen what has happened as a result. And in particular, I mean, the last seven games, seven, seven games, Greg, that's that's where he's done a lot of this heavy lifting. Kucherov too. So let me give you the other time that I remember when these guys were maybe just about as dialed in. They didn't have as many points. I'm fairly confident of that. But they were extremely dynamic. It was the first month of the 17-18 season, which not coincidentally was the other time Kucherov had had goals in seven straight games. So the franchise record for goal streak, Brian Bradley. Had goals in eight straight games during the first year. Of the Lightning, ninety two ninety three was was probably the the farewell year of high scoring in the NHL, <laughs> and then over that, I mean ninety five ninety six was certainly a good year offensively, and we talked about that as kind of the 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 benchmark that this season is not surpassing, but at least being compared to because we haven't seen anything like that since but 92 93 was incredible whether it was McGilney or Tamuslani I mean the Lightning missed the playoffs and they had tremendous offensive numbers for some of their players I think Bradley scored 43 goals that year so since that first year no Lightning players ever had goals in eight straight Kucherov came close goals in seven and he currently is on a seven-game goal streak, the seven-game stretch he's been on. But the other time he did it was was October of 2017, and the Lightning came roaring out of the gates that year. That was coming off the year that they missed the playoffs by a point. And Stamkos was back, and he was healthy and recovered from his, his knee issue the year before, and he and Kucherov were just shredding the opposition. Now, they didn't maintain it but I remember how dominant they were I forget how many goals Kucherov had in that month but in the seven game goal streak which went from October 6th to October 17th so only halfway through the month he had eight goals so that was that was a really good stretch not as good as this one though so in this stretch seven games get ready for these numbers Stamkos 21 points in seven games What's that come out to? 21. Three points per game? Yeah. Come on. So come put on. this in perspective, Greg. Seven games ago, so after game 73, Steven Stamkos had 80 points. We're now at 80 games played. He has 101. He went from 80 to 101 from game start of game 74 to game 80. In the last five, he has produced three or more points in all five of those games. It's only been done, what was the number, eight times in NHL history? And only three players have done it 
over a six-game span. Stamkos' last five games, starting with, with, with the least recent to the most recent, three points, three points, three points, four points, four points. That's 17 points. 17 of his 21 points have come in the last five games. So that is how he got to 100 points. And the power play has been a big part of that because in the last six games now, so one game into their streak, the power play has gone 11 for 21. And Stamkos and Kucherov have gotten a lot of points during those power play goals. In fact, I'd have to go back and look, which I didn't. How many how many of those power play goals did Stamkos and Kucherov have a point in? And, and on a lot of them, I think they both have points. Here are the Kucherov numbers. So Kucherov in the seven games has goals in all seven. So that ties his own personal best and one off the franchise record. He has in those seven games nine goals and 11 assists for 20 points. So one He's point three less than Stamkos. Game. Yeah, almost three points per game. And going back even further, he is on a stretch of 13 goals in his last 13 games. So because he missed half a season, we're not talking about like career marks, 100 points, which he's done already in his career. And then we got Hedman, who by comparison had a fairly quiet night last night, which is one assist, but it was his 600th point. He has points in six, so he's been on the point parade. One game, one game later, he got he got involved. He has a goal, which was his twentieth goal, and thirteen assists for fourteen points. It looked like Roman Yossi was absolutely running away with the scoring title among defensemen, and he's still going to win it. But Hedman made things a little bit more interesting here: fourteen points in six games. For Edmund. I mean, I know offenses are up, but these numbers are just crazy. They are ridiculous. And what I will say is, because you brought up the question, will this carry over into the playoffs? I don't know if it will or it won't. And not the point production per se, just the the, the level of efficiency at which they're operating. Playmaking. I think offense is fickle. And you would like to say defense isn't. Which is why I think and we haven't really talked about this, but like why why is team defense so important to John Cooper? And why does he keep coming back to that? You're going nowhere if you can't defend, et cetera, et cetera. And part of it is that, you know, it's hard to it's hard to give up three or four goals a game and win. Even if you have dynamic offensive players, but the undercurrent there is that offenses can be fickle. Like, you can get incredibly hot, and then you can get cold offensively, too. Run into a hot goalie, or your confidence takes a hit. You would like to believe that how you are defending stays level. So that whether you're accounting for five to six goals a game, or one to two, the the steady-eddy part of it is what you're, what you're holding the opposition to. Because that is related more to structure, and effort, and compete and goaltending certainly but i would be surprised if this continues you know into the playoffs it'd be great if it did based on you know these two guys averaging basically 3 points a game but you have to be ready for it to end and when it ends what are you going to fall back on you fall back on solid team d and while it didn't happen last night in a lot of these games in addition to Stamkos and Kucherov, the Lightning are also getting balanced scoring, which is really important. But sometimes no that dries up too. It does. Maybe it, it maybe you're only it, getting production from one line. It, in some ways, it feels weird that Braden Point isn't part of that line and isn't putting up the numbers associated with what Stamkos and Kucherov are putting up because typically Point is right there yeah, picking up points. And you talk about the balanced scoring – I, to me, I, I know some people will look at it and say, look, I, for whatever reason, Point isn't dominating games as with as much frequency as we've seen in years past. I think you could look at his goal totals partner and probably come to maybe that conclusion. I mean, basically, he's had one goal in the last, what, 10, 11 games, maybe yeah, a little more than that. He's on a new line now, too. Let's right, not and, discount that. 
No, I and, and that's what I mean. So for me, I'm I'm going to take the optimistic view and say I think there's another level for point to get to in the playoffs. And you know, if that means Kucherov and Stamkos come back to earth a little bit, and that may just happen because of the playoffs and the way games are are played, this is what makes the Lightning so hard to defend is that all right, what are the chances that a Kucherov, Steven Stamkos line collectively doesn't do much? And, you know, the, the odds right now are that one of those guys is going to have, you know, an impact game in and game out, and probably both if they're playing on the same line. But does anybody sit here and think that Braden Point is going to be a guy that doesn't make an impact at some point in a series once the playoffs begin, and, and my answer would be based off of what we've seen historically, the answer would be no. And so while I think it is fun to watch what Stamkos and Kucherov, and even Pilat, throw him in there, because I think, again, being that third wheel, so to speak, is kind of what Pilat does. And I think this is Pilat at its best when he's commenting to other guys who are highly skilled. I mean, He's making the right plays, whether it's going to the net, whether it's feeding Stamkos and Kucherov at the right time. To me, this is this is the Andre Pilat that's pretty effective, particularly during the playoffs. But I also think, partner, that Braden points and his new line mates will elevate their play once the playoffs begin. And I think this is where we start talking about depth scoring. And then you factor in, you've got an Anthony Sorelli line that you have to contend with, along with Kalorn and... Colton and Paul seem to be figuring some things out. I think Hagel is getting more confident. I think we are seeing signs that he is starting to feel a lot better on the ice, mm-hmm. and we know what the fourth line can do. So I know the numbers haven't been as consistently good for, let's say, a player like Pilat, Dave, and Point specifically, and even throw Sorelli in there too. I think it's been a little up and down for him. I think some of that is circumstances, just playing with different line mates. Some of that just could be, you know, you go through some ruts where things don't work as well. But those guys are proven playoff performers, specifically Sorelli and Point. And I've got to think there's going to be a clean slate once the playoffs begin. And I'm not sure we're going to be talking about depth scoring in a negative way that maybe we have at times this year because those are some proven point producers in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think Braden Point has looked good. I mean, if we're going to talk about him specifically, I think there have been some plays where he's the guy who is making the play to the teammate who gets the second assist. Yes. So, I mean, there's been a little bit of, of bad luck there if you want to look at it that way. But I think that that Paul, Colton, and Point as a line has looked pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I can't recall if we're going to base it somewhat on how are they defending, I'm not sure that they have really been involved in any goals against. I mean, the Lightning haven't allowed a lot of goals during their winning streak. Five on five, they've allowed three total goals. That all came in the Florida game. The other goals they've allowed have all been power play goals. One last night, three in the two games against Toronto and Nashville, three total. And then they allowed one in their win at Florida, and then the other three were, were even strength. I don't seem to remember that that point Paul and Colton were involved in any of those. So they are they are taking care of their own end. I feel like they've had a lot of possession. Sure. So they've had the puck a lot. So I don't have any I don't have any issues with how point is looking. He's just not getting rewarded necessarily. No, I and but I mean I think for me when you look at what's going on with that first line, you know what these other lines can do, specifically points. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there is, and this is, I think, just the positive way of looking at it. I think that line's going to make an impact if they stay together. Because I think there is some grit, there's some skill, there's some speed. And to your point, they're defending well, which is big. Uh, points winning faceoffs, Dave, at the right time, particularly on the power play. I mean, this is a very good sign for the Lightning. I think if you were, a te- if you were somebody that was questioning this team a couple of weeks ago, don't you think you've probably done a 180 if you felt concerned based off of what you've seen against pretty good competition? And look, the game against Columbus last night, if we want to go there, and by the way, uh, the leading score in 92-93 partner was Mary Lemieux. No surprise, 160 points. But I believe that was the year he came back mm-hmm. 
was it back injury? And he chased down Pat LaFontaine. Remember, LaFontaine had just a phenomenal yeah. season. Well, he and points. McGillney were dynamic in Buffalo. How many goals did McGillney have that year? Do so McGillney had 76 along with yeah. Tamu Solane. And I believe yeah, that was I knew the two year. of them. I yeah, mean, those 76. days, I know yeah. Mario had 160 some odd points in 95, 96, yeah. which was the year that's kind of that, that this year is being referenced as the highest scoring year since. But 92-93 kind of was was the swan song year to the 80s, the high-scoring days of the 80s, where you had guys scoring 70-plus goals. Really incredible when you think about it. <laughs> All those points. Yeah, that and, is uh, I think I think that's why I, I think a lot of people my age, maybe your age, kind of – you get a little nostalgic, I think, right now watching some of these players put up the points because we grew up, and, and you m more working that era, but me as a fan, I mean, you you grew up seeing some incredible talent and just ridiculous numbers being put up. Yeah. And you always wonder, are we ever going to see somebody get to that? Are you going to see? Are we ever going to see somebody get eighty-five goals in a year? Probably not. But Austin Matthews hit sixty last night, and mm. congratulations to him. Pretty good stuff all the way around, but I think this is what a lot of people who have been following hockey for the last 20, 25 years, you can hearken back and say, yeah, that, that might have been when I started to fall in love with hockey because you saw just some unbelievable players and just some ridiculous numbers being put up, and, and maybe we're starting to see that again. But I, I thought the game last night, I, I wasn't sure what to expect going into that game partner they had three games remaining on the schedule two of them were against Columbus they've had some success against Columbus as we know over the years outside of the one playoff round but I, I thought the way I, I think I described it to Chief on the post game that was a workmanlike performance yeah you could it was. tell that you could tell the energy wasn't the same and I I, I mean I expected that I, I didn't have any high hopes for that game last night I mean again it's probably do enough to win stay healthy and just cross it off the schedule and, and move on you know again the first line kind of carry them a little bit offensively but I, I I thought it was pretty workmanlike and I didn't feel like there were a ton of glorious scoring chances for Columbus so I thought for the most part the Lightning did what they had to do and you know their play wasn't dipping as much as you would think going against a team like Columbus and especially the streak the Lightning had been on yeah so if if the fans remember when I was breaking down the elements of team defense and we had puck management d zone coverage and rush coverage it's three things to look at it's more than that but the lightning's puck management last night was not as good as it had been in the three previous games the blowout wins against playoff bound opponents but the other two parts of their game were good in that okay, they had some turnovers, or they didn't quite execute moving pucks up the ice as cleanly as maybe in a perfect world or a perfect scenario they would have, but they didn't really let Columbus translate that into a ton of dangerous chances, either off the rush. I mean, did the Jackets have one odd man rush? I can't remember that they did. And in terms of their D zone, and this was a game, again, in which Lightning had to play the majority of it with only five defensemen because Chernak left in the first period after the puck caught him up high. The Lightning had 25 block shots. They deed up pretty well in front of Vasilevsky. Were there a few chances? There were. But, you know, Vasilevsky looked pretty steady in, in denying those. So probably not as high of a grade defensively simply because the Lightning had some some miscues with the puck at times, and they seeded the majority of the possession. This was a game in which Columbus had more possession than the Lightning, and the shot attempts reflect that. So what did they have? 46 and 17, 63 shot attempts the Jackets had, whereas the Lightning had only 45. I think that's a fair representation of possession in this instance. So why did Columbus have a lot of possession, have a lot of possession? When they had the puck... They, they worked it around the offensive zone for some long stretches, and the Lightning weren't quite as crisp from beginning to end in terms of how they managed the puck. But even with that huge possession advantage, it's not like the Blue Jackets outchanced the Lightning. I don't think that they did. That speaks to how well the Lightning were defending. So I think that was, in addition to the dynamic 
night that Stamkos and Kucherov had, how the Lightning defended without the puck was another key, and that they did it with five defensemen. And the last thing I'll say about these last four games, the first three of which were against teams heading for the playoffs, and this one was against a team that is going to miss the playoffs. So a little bit different. You would expect maybe their intensity would dip a little bit, and it probably did, if we're being perfectly honest, Greg. Remember what we were talking about after they lost to Detroit. And what we were talking about was, it's not that the Lightning had been consistently bad in these previous games. It was that they had been inconsistent. So they had really yes. good stretches in a lot of these games, but then they had also had extremely subpar stretches. And that was the perfect way to describe that, by the way, when you said, look, they're not they're not consistently bad here. They're just being inconsistent with their play. And I think there is a difference. There yeah, a difference and so there. what's happened in the last four games, they've really yeah. limited those dips. I mean, you're going to have some dips, but they haven't been severe dips, and they haven't gotten really burned too much when they've had those dips, and they haven't yeah. been long dips. All right, so they they gave up some chances against the Panthers, and we talked about how good the Panthers are offensively, but, but to repeat what I said yesterday – I don't think the Panthers, and maybe it was Monday, <laughs> these shows are running together. I don't think the Panthers overwhelmed the Lightning no, on Sunday and Sunrise. Whereas in some of these other games, when they were giving up like three goals in five minutes, like they were having significant dips and really getting hurt by those dips. That has essentially gone away in the last four games. And what hasn't gone away is the good stretches the Lightning have been able to string together. A very encouraging sign as we as we head toward the end of the regular season. Nick says, another night where Cooch plays Batman and Stammer is Bruce Wayne. My question, who is the Robin on the team? Why is Stamkos Bruce Wayne? Doesn't he get to be a... I don't know. There might, there might be, be a like reference the, there before. The regular, the regular human? Isn't Bruce Wayne is when Batman doesn't have his, Correct. his costume on. Correct. I think Stamco should be a different superhero. That would imply that Stamkos and Kucherov are actually the same person, right? That's right. Well, Sorry, says, Nick, is... to quibble with your he says who's the your Robin? metaphor there, your analogy. Paul Point Perry. I think Robin for me was always the the complimentary guy, right? And so yeah. I think I think we need to go back to the drawing board on this. We'll find, well, that's we'll find always another. A good Robin. Yeah, we can we can find something. I think Nick, the intention is is well received. I think we right. just have to probably put our superheroes. Well, line. plus you know I never really got into the superheroes. I mean, I was a yeah. Captain America, and and that was it. So when Marty St. Louis and Stamkos played together, yeah. their relationship wasn't completely like a one way deal, but it was more one direction than the other. In that St. Louis tended to set up Stamkos, who shot. Now, sometimes Stamkos would set up Marty, <laughs> but it was way more in the other direction. Kucherov does set up Stamkos to shoot. There's no question. But Stamkos sets up Kucherov to shoot, too. Now, that's not really building on what Nick was saying, but like when you were talking about like a complementary piece, I don't know that one is, is more complementary to the other. I think they complement each other really well, and they're both capable of setting up the other for good scoring chances. Which is why Kucherov has goals in seven straight games. It's not that he's only passing the puck. Well, I think that's what's interesting about Stamkos and his play. It feels like it's a more complete game. And I think that's, you know, you talk about the injuries, Dave, the last couple of years for Stammer, and he talked about the motivation of proving people wrong. I do think the last couple of years, though, he's had to become a more complete player. We talked about it. It might have been last year. Stamkos' ability to go into the dirty areas and win puck battles. I, I, that was something I took from his game last year. And I, I had commented on it that maybe he had to reinvent himself a little differently. He wasn't going to be the guy coming down the wing or you know in the slot and, and pumping 50 or 60 goals in like he used to. But I felt like he was very effective, particularly when he was playing with Sorelli and Kalorn, playing a certain style maybe that we had not seen. But it showed to me that he was adapting to his skill sets because possibly they were declining. Now, 
if that means he's proving people wrong like me this year because his game is not anywhere close to just being a guy who goes into the corners and win and lose pucks, so be it. But I do think Steven Stamkos' game is more well-rounded than when he was hitting 60. And maybe that's just natural because he's older and he's, he's just a better player overall. But his playmaking ability partner has been something that has stood out to me in addition to the sniping. You mentioned he's picking corners right now. Even, even yeah. like when he's missing, he's missing by just a little bit. But when he is scoring, you're seeing precision that few have seen in the history of this game. But I, would you agree with me? His ability to find the open man and his playmaking ability has also reached another level. And I think this is a product of, of Stammer, honestly, not only playing with Kucherov too, Dave, but I think the last couple of years, in some ways, because of those injuries, maybe having to reinvent himself a little bit more. And now that he's healthy, you're taking those skill sets that you harnessed the last couple of years, in addition to the elite shot. And now we're seeing the fruits of that come into play this year. And it's become a dominant player. And, and one of the reasons why he's been able to hit 100 points this season. Yeah, I guess we'd have to ask him about that, like, did you look to evolve this part of your game because of the injuries, or was it just being in the league and and evolving as a player? Yeah, who knows? And I know I've been I've been really upfront with you how highly I regard Crosby, and I mean, like, that's like saying I like ice cream, right? <laughs> I mean, like most people have a really high opinion of Crosby, but I'm gonna get into like how the ice cream is composed here <laughs> a little bit, like. When Crosby came into the league, he was a fantastic player, but I think he was under 50% on faceoffs, and it didn't take him long to become one of, if not one of the best faceoff guys in the league. I'm not sure that we would say that, but a very reliable faceoff guy who is well over 50%. I think Crosby is a great example of a player who entered the league with immense ability and hit the ground running as an 18-year-old and dominated the league, but his game has evolved because he is driven, he is immensely talented, and I think that he is, I hate this expression, but we'll, we'll use it in this inst instance, a student of the game. Like, he, he wants to get better and utilizes whatever tools are at his disposal to help him grow as a player and I think the same has been true for Stamkos they aren't identical players I'm not comparing the two what I'm saying is like their evolution as a player yeah where both guys entered the league with ability and had immediate success they even just sat on their laurels right you know what's interesting about those two players specifically and then I want to get to another comment and then we'll go to break both of those players have missed extended time mm -hmm. due to injuries might add credence to your notion about the injury in a way was an impetus or injuries yeah. became an impetus to, to help them grow their game. It could be, but it's they're Hall of Famers, no doubt. And I, I hope everybody is taking that in when you're watching these guys play because I, I'm, a, I'm bold. I, I come out and I'll say it. I mean, I think you're seeing three guys who are first ballot Hall of Famers putting up remarkable numbers right now for this hockey team who's trying to three-peat. And it's been really fun to watch. I hope a lot of people just take that in because it, it doesn't happen often. And you notice it when it's not there. Yeah. But when it's going, it, it's as good as anything you're going to follow in sports. Bob says, Greg, you pointed out in the show the other day that 91 should be considered for MVP. And at first, I shook my head. But after he made his points, but after you made your points on 91, holding this team together during the injuries, et cetera, he might have something. He's not a youngster, but he's smart. Well, look, you made a good argument. I think what's working against Stammer is what Elliot talked about yesterday. This is a year where there's a ton of competition. No doubt. I don't look. If he got to 101 points and was second in the league in scoring. Yeah. I think that argument would carry even more weight, but it he's would. not. <laughs> it would. And listen, there's like 10 guys. We even talked about there's a there's a defenseman, there's a goaltender yeah. that probably would get the nod over Stammer this year. But all I'm saying is, Bob and, and Dave and, and anybody else there who cares, is that I just I want his name in the conversation. He doesn't have to win it.
but I think it's an acknowledgement of not only what he has done, but when he's done it. And I think that's the other thing. You know, if Stamkos was putting up 100 points and Braden Point and Kucherov were healthy all year long, you know, quite honestly, we would probably be talking about Kucherov in that conversation, maybe a bit more than Stammer. But I think you have to look at the circumstances. I'm not sure many people acknowledge or realize how good Stamkos was early on when the Lightning were facing some significant injuries to go to guys. And I think that's what I have taken from this season is that you have a captain who led by example and was the first one out leading the charge to keep this team and their heads above water while they had some significant injuries. And now you parlay that into what they're doing right now, heading into the most important time of the year. I don't know about you, but it it gets a little exciting to think what this team can do. Understanding the odds are against them statistically of three-peating, but if there is a team who can do it, it is the Lightning. And Dave, I think the biggest thing we're taking from this, and, and we can talk about depth scoring, and I know we had Elliot on yesterday and he talked about you know for him the biggest question with this lightning team was how do they replace that third line and then maybe in some ways they have maybe in some ways they haven't but i think if your star players are going to play this way does that overcome any type of lack of production you may be getting from your third line compared to the previous year knowing that your your big guns are, are having really phenomenal seasons that might be able to overcome some of that lost production and i think that's interesting yeah and and the line configurations are are very intriguing because i think the reason why we're seeing stamp ghost and kucherov playing together right now Braden point missed a game Braden point yeah. missed the toronto game and when he was unable to play stamp ghost moved on to the line with Kucherov and Palat, and how can you break them up? Like we just talked about their point production, and that is a span of four games, right? The, the four-game winning streak. And so I'm not sure if that was necessarily by design where they were, you know, throwing up different line combinations on the dry erase board in the coach's office and saying, yeah, what if we moved point away from Kucherov and put Stamkos back with Kucherov? Sometimes it's point, Stamkos, and Kucherov. But flat out just like swapping point and Stamkos, because Stamkos had been playing where point is now with Paul and Colton before point missed that one game. But... I don't know if, if I would call it like what Elliot said, you need to find a way to replace the Yanni Gord line. I'm not sure if the Lightning are actually going to be able to do that. But with the guys they added, Hagel and Paul, according to what Elliot said, said, you know, I think that was a that was a move, those were moves that helped the Lightning fill out their their lineup a little bit. But if you keep Stamp Ghost with Kucherov, now you got Braden Point, who has a history of being a shutdown guy earlier in his career playing with two pretty tenacious players in Paul and Colton. And maybe that's, it's a different mix, but it's been working well for the lightning. I mean, they haven't lost a game since they made these changes and point came back after missing the Toronto game. So we'll see if it continues not only in these final two regular season games, but maybe into game one of the playoffs. And what you said about like what happens if, if, if this top line dries up, you might have to rely on some other lines. That is true. But the other thing that we know John Cooper is is not hesitant about doing is if the top line, we'll call it the top line, Stamkos, Kucherov, and Palat, if not only their offense dries up, but their chances dry up, well, he can just yeah. swap point Stamkos again. He can put point back on that line and give it a different look. No doubt. That's the advantage he has with the the level of depth the Lightning have on their roster. It's a lot of depth, and it's playing out right now. It's been a lot of fun. React to the game last night if you want. At Bolts Radio, he is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Lanelli. Steve Versnick is producing. We'll take a break. We'll come back, talk more about this Lightning team, what to expect the last couple of games, and who will Tampa Bay play? in that first round did we get any more answers to that question last night we'll discuss that when we return right here on lightning power play 
Hey, it's Seth Kushner from The Block Party, and our episode is out now with Ross Colton. I talked to Ross about his time with the Cup up in New Jersey, why his mom wanted him to give up the Cup early that day. Ross talks about some of the crazy science he sees in warm-ups from you maniacs. And we get down to how much the boss is actually calling his mom these days. It's The Block Party with Seth Kushner everywhere you get your podcasts. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Well, listen, we have a really big operation here for Lightning Power Play. We have multiple people behind the scenes looking up statistics One when Dave and I are doing the show. And mm-hmm. Steve usually is the one that uh, gets these people under control so we can get that information. And I, I think we, we Or I could have looked it up. Or I could have looked it up before the show, which I did not do. So thank well, you, that's Steve. Okay. We both could. We both could have. But Steve has some info on what we were talking about with Kucherov, right? And maybe his last really unbelievable run of points consecutively here. What did what did we find? Steve? Yeah, so he started the season with what eight goals in the first seven games. But he that was ended- the seventeen eighteen season. Yeah, seventeen eighteen. But it was yeah. actually he scored goals in ten of his first eleven games and fourteen of his first seventeen that season. And and through the month of October, it was 13 games. He scored 13 goals. Which is exactly what he's at right now. 13 mm-hmm. goals in his last 13 yep. games. And he had eight assists in those 13 games as well. So he yeah. was 21 points in the 13 games. Was that it? That's his 123-point year, correct? No. That was the next year. That was the next year when they had the gotcha. 62 wins. That's when he got 128 points. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's impressive. But Stamkos was involved in a lot of those plays whether he scored a goal that Kucherov assisted on or the other way around see I'm looking at Stamkos' games let's see one two three four one two three four six goals in those 13 first 13 games but lots of assists yeah five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve fourteen I mean they were unbelievable that month 18 assists that month that yeah so as amazing as that month was, their point-per-game rate was not at three. Now, it was a longer sample size. It was a full month, not seven games. But that that kind of puts into context how rare and incredible this stretch Dave, this has is, been. It might not be as for long. You know, We might have to extend this out for another month or maybe another couple of weeks. But I think we can make the case now for over, over the last, how many games? Seven, eight games. Games. Yeah. This is this might be the most dominant stretch we've seen Stamkos and Kucherov. I mean, it, this is this is elite, and not to say that wasn't elite a couple of years ago. It was, but th- this is again. You take the age too into consideration mm-hmm. a little bit more. I know scoring is up, but you still got to score. Just because scoring's up doesn't mean it's it's a gimme, right? And and, and traditionally, traditionally, this year has been different as we've talked about. But traditionally. Things are wide open at the start of a season, and then they tend to tighten up in the second half, and especially as you get down the stretch run toward the playoffs. So the fact that they put up those crazy numbers in the first month of the season is kind of consistent with how the league traditionally has operated. Now, this year, all of that has kind of got thrown out the window because the goal scoring has stayed at a very high rate, but they're doing this down the stretch run. And they've done it against a lot of really good teams. Yeah, right, for sure. Playoff-bound teams. You know, uh, before we get into the league in general, because I think there's some interesting things going on there, I had, um, for home games, E usually joins me in that first segment of pregame, and we were talking about scoring. And you know what? A reason scoring is up that we didn't think about, partner. Maybe you did. I know I didn't. I didn't publicly say it. He had mentioned that, I, I guess John Cooper was asked this question. And one of the reasons he gave why he thinks scoring is up this year is expansion. He thinks expansion in the league over the last mm-hmm. couple of years, you know, it, maybe this is a byproduct of that. You know, you're, you're typically seeing... I don't know, a, a second-line guy maybe get pushed down to that third line and, and maybe teams are just a little deeper or you know vice versa, and you're just seeing, I don't want to say not enough talent in the league because I, I, I don't think that's fair. I think the game is is 
I don't know if it's better than it was 10, 15 years ago, but, you know, are we seeing more scoring because of expansion? I had not thought about that. And I, yeah, I, I mean, Coop, Coop must have his reasons for saying that. I didn't hear that answer. I guess what I would wonder is, though, okay, if you have expansion, then your roster depth takes a hit, and certainly that was the case for the Lightning. But why would the depth being affected hurt your team defense appreciably more than your ability to score? Yeah, that I, I mean, like, okay, and I don't have the answer for that. But that's the expansion that's drafts what I over think the last, about. you know, were the expansion drafts over the last couple of years plucking guys off your roster? You know, that lessen your team? Did it make other teams who were pretty good defensively a little weaker because they had to give up certain players? I don't know. He also did mention, I think the. Just the stopping and starting, I think, of, of the league yeah. the last couple of years might have You've played a role. That. I I kind of feel like that could be part of it. I, a lot of good theories out there, but it is interesting. All right, so basically, let's look at the standings because, as Steve pointed out before we came on the air, I mean, it's there's one team that hasn't clinched, correct? Yeah, Dallas. Dallas. But they really helped themselves last night. Yes. They won in a shootout in seven rounds. I was thinking about our conversation with Owen Newkirk, who does their pregame, postgame on their radio broadcast. He is the star's Greg Linelli, essentially. <laughs> That's right. So when Owen joined us before the Lightning saw the stars, which incidentally, like if you're wondering, when did the streak start for Stamkos and Kucherov? It's a clean start because the eighth game, eight games ago, was when they lost to the stars one nothing. So nobody had any points. <laughs> And then the streaks, at least for those two guys, started in the next game. But what Owen said to us was, because he was looking at, at the stretch run for the Stars, he's like, here's the thing with the Stars. Nothing comes easily for this team. Every game is a dogfight. Every game is close. Every game is a nail-biter, whether it's against one of the top teams or one of the teams that isn't one of the top teams. And he's right. Like, they beat Seattle – after coming back from going 0-3 in Western Canada, and they were down 2-0 in the first period, they had to rally to, to beat the Kraken 3-2. And then last night's game goes to overtime, goes to the shootout, no goals through the first six rounds of the shootout, and that is a, a huge swing of two points because had Vegas won the game in a shootout, they would have been down two points holding the tiebreaker. But because Dallas won, the gap is now four points. And Vegas only has two games left. So the Stars just need a point somewhere. Whether Vegas drops a point or the Stars get a point, as opposed to Vegas still would have needed help, but the Stars could have could have lost a two-point lead in the last two games. If they lose one of their final two and Vegas wins its last two, Vegas is in. So... That was an important swing, and it also bailed out Nashville, which gave up a goal with one-tenth of a second left to Calgary and ended up losing in overtime, so they dropped a point. So one thing to watch, Greg, and we'll get to the East in a second here, Dallas needs a point to get that final playoff spot, but they currently are tied with Nashville. The reason why Nashville has clinched a spot and Dallas hasn't is that Vegas would not win the tiebreaker against Nashville. Correct. So Vegas theoretically could tie both of those teams, but they would not overtake Nashville. They would overtake Dallas, which is why Dallas needs one more point. But we were kind of operating under the assumption that Nashville was going to see Calgary. And in fact, the Predators played the Flames twice recently in the last like week and a half, both at home. Like, could this be a playoff preview? Both games went to extra time. The Preds won the first meeting in a shootout, and then, of course, last night Calgary won in overtime. But that could that could swap. Those teams could flip-flop, and Nashville might get the second wild card and have to see Colorado. I think Nashville plays Colorado, actually. Nashville finishes at Colorado at Arizona. Dallas finishes home Arizona, home Anaheim. So if Dallas wins out and and Nashville doesn't beat Colorado and Denver, then Dallas would would 
get the second or would get the first wild card, excuse me, and see Calgary, which, look, they're both tough opponents, but it's interesting that we still have that that possibility of the two wild card teams flipping spots. Yeah. The two, three matchups in the West, though, are set. We knew Minnesota and St. Louis, Minnesota and St. Louis are going to play each other. That's gonna be and we know Edmonton series. and the Kings are going to play each other with Edmonton having home ice. By the way, the people who wrote off Mike Smith, do we? Do they recant that part? Yeah, what is he, Boy, nine we in were, a row now? Maybe we were reading the the headlines. <laughs> Coming out of, uh, it might have been Sportsnet. And boy, were they critical of Edmonton's goaltender. That was a case where, Dave, they made a, they made a coaching change. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it has clicked. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, that is, you know, you, you mentioned giving coach of the year. Sometimes you're hesitant to do that to a guy who's just midway through the season because they haven't been there. But... You can't knock the results. No. You know, once they got rid of Tippett, something happened. You know, maybe it was the players just being embarrassed that this was a, a team that should have been in the playoffs and they were out. Whatever it was, it was the right move because Edmonton is playing. If you believe in momentum heading into the playoffs, a team like Edmonton is somebody to watch out. And I don't know what's going to happen in that playoff series, but isn't Dowdy out for the year? Did I see that right? I think he is. Yeah, I think he is. I don't know if Edmund could have asked for a better first-round matchup after they got swept last year. So is that— This Kings team, basically, other than the guys that are holdovers from their cup runs, I mean, this Kings team has no playoff experience. I mean, they they are getting thrown right into the fire, and they're missing their stud defensemen. I mean, what would you say is the the biggest team story this year in the NHL? I think Vegas. There are three. Vegas missing. Well, the it's playoffs. Vegas missing the playoffs. Is it you know L.A. making the playoffs? Did anybody have that before the season started? And did anybody? And I understand circumstances early on with the Islanders, Dave. But the Islanders were a game away mm-hmm. from playing in the Stanley yeah. Cup final. Good point. I mean, I think those are three to me, pretty significant storylines that have transpired this year. And well, I don't know which one is the bigger story. And you had Montreal in the Stanley Cup last year, and they're the worst team yeah. in hockey. Yeah. 51 points. I tend to agree with you with Vegas just because of where they were. But then again, I, I, I can't wrap my head around the fact that the Islanders were a game away from playing in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I think people are more willing to give the Islanders a pass, though, for a couple of reasons. They had the crazy... The road trip at the start of the year, yeah. they really got hit hard by COVID, much more than Vegas did, if we're being perfectly honest. And the last part is that, fairly or unfairly, I mean, the Islanders are not built to, like, chomp points in the regular season. Mm-hmm. They are built to do well enough in the regular season and then really be a pain in the rear end in the playoffs, which is what has happened the last couple of years. I don't know that the Islanders would choose to to shift that dynamic so that they are better in the regular season and potentially more vulnerable in the playoffs. I don't think they're willing to to trade that. Whereas Vegas was supposed to be this powerhouse. Traded for Eichel, Petrangelo, Theodore, Pacioretty, Stone. Yeah, they've got some problems here. I mean, the goaltending situation hurt them for sure. That Leonard, Leonard had injury problems. Do you feel like in Vegas, I don't want to say the goaltending situation over the last couple of years was something that was more fabricated by the team than an actual issue, but didn't you feel like even with Marc-Andre Fleury playing as well as he did and then Leonard there as well, that there was... There was created chaos that shouldn't have been considering who you had in nets. In other words, you had two guys who were very competent, and Flurry played at a really high level. And it was almost like a manufactured crisis in Vegas because maybe the head coach didn't want Flurry necessarily to be the guy. Flurry wanted out. They didn't necessarily know what to do. Like, that should have been a situation, partner, where you should have looked at it as an organization and said, we're set at the goaltender position. We've got two really good goaltenders. And instead, I feel like there was manufactured chaos between Flurry and Leonard. They finally make the decision on Leonard. From what Elliot was saying uh, the other day, they didn't like, Leonard didn't like 
the way maybe they've handled his issues off the ice when it came to mental health. And that this back and forth really after Flurry was dealt was something the team really couldn't handle. But I, I felt like they went from a really good goaltending situation to one where it became more of a distraction than anything else. Well, what was the word that Elliot used with us yesterday? Drama, right? They've had a lot That's of drama exactly this it. year. But why, you know, like even when they had Flurry and Leonard, there shouldn't be drama in something like that. Like, that should be a luxury. And well, then, I, correct I, I, me if I'm wrong, and I, I confess I'm not, like, up to date exactly, or I guess up to date a year ago exactly on what was going on with Vegas, but didn't they need to move Flurry's contract to give themselves some cap space? Which Probably. I know they have the yeah, LTIR going on this year. That but... could have been it. But remember his agent? <laughs> it might yes. have been during the playoff year. They had a picture of Flurry with a sword. <laughs> Right. being stabbed in his back. And I mean, I just, I, I feel like, yes, you're right. I, I think eventually maybe they had to move on from him because of... Or Leonard. I mean, they had to Leonard. they had to free up some money Peter and they DeBoer, couldn't keep both. It yeah. was pretty clear Peter DeBoer wasn't a Marc-Andre Fleury guy. Almost forced to play him because of the year he had and the success he had. But that, boy, that, let's put it this way. That should not have been a situation where you looked at their goaltending duo and said we've we're going to create some chaos here because you know for whatever reason that should have been you know what we're not going to worry about the goaltending because that is a, a position of strength ended up being a distraction yeah and now vegas is going to be in a position partner where they're probably going to have to make some pretty drastic moves in the offseason bigger disappointment this year I, I i don't know yeah they are a big know. disappointment now they haven't been eliminated officially yet but their chances of getting past Dallas are essentially slim to none. Doug Let's put it this way. If Dallas loses at home to Arizona and Anaheim in regulation and misses the playoffs, that's not due to Vegas. That's due to Dallas. Correct. That's on Dallas. Doug wants to know, guys, can you explain to me what scenario the Lightning officially will play the Maple Leafs? Well, just about any scenario. <laughs> so I think I saw an updated like odds scenario. Eric might have had this. It's about 95% at this point that the Lightning will play the Maple Leafs. So the Lightning lead the Bruins by three points. Both teams have two games left. A tie goes to the Bruins. So the Lightning needs some combination of two points to lock up third. A win in, in either of their last two games would do it, a point gained by them and a point dropped by the Bruins would do it, or Bruins regulation loss would do it. Sure. Bruins finish home Buffalo at Toronto, and of course the Lightning finish on the road Columbus Islanders. Well, so look, it could happen. I mean, the Lightning, basically, if the Lightning only get one point out of their last two games and the Bruins win both of their final games, the Bruins would finish third. Or if the Lightning lose both of their games in regulation and the Bruins get a minimum of three points in their last two games, the Bruins get third. But any other scenario has the Lightning playing the Leafs. And look, I mean, we've talked about this. Hedman mentioned this when he met with the media yesterday morning. I don't think the Lightning are, are really sweating who they get in the first round. No. I mean, at this point, Florida... Has the best record in the East. Carolina. Yeah, the Pittsburgh-Washington race. The At this point, the team that finishes last, yes. fourth, I shouldn't Second say last, but you know the team that, that, that is lower of Pittsburgh and Washington plays Florida. The team that is higher plays the Rangers. And, and the team that, that doesn't finish in third in the Lightning's division will get Carolina. All of that got settled last night. So Carolina knows it'll play either Boston or the Lightning. Toronto knows it'll play either Boston or the Lightning. Florida knows it'll play either Pittsburgh or Washington. And the Rangers know they will play either Pittsburgh or Washington. Correct. Does that clear things up? Washington's had a really good opportunity to move up into that third spot, and they can't win a game here at the end. 
main. Yeah, they got another game with the Islanders, and yeah. then they finish with the Rangers. The Ran- yeah, and who knows what the Rangers are going to play for in that particular situation. But the Penguins are a team. If you believe again in momentum heading into the playoffs, they have none right now. And we'll see how that that all plays out. Apparently, Zucker got. They it. have Columbus. Yes. In their final game. Yes. That's at home, right? Yeah, it's got to be because Columbus plays its final home game against the Lightning tomorrow. There you go. We'll see how it all plays out. We'll be back at it again tomorrow, noon to one, and we'll be getting you set for Lightning and Blue Jackets. You're going to be on the call with Chief, is that correct? Yes. So I am not on the trip. Okay. On this final two game trip. So I have Chief with me in the studio tomorrow and Phil with me in the studio on Friday. Wonderful. And then we'll get ramped up for uh, next week at some point. Yep. And that'll be a lot of fun. And the Lightning Power Play will be your home for the most complete Lightning coverage. All right, partner. Great job, as always. And uh, we'll do it again tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks to Steve Ersnick. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. I'm Greg Linelli. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.